Take your Bibles then, if you would, and once again, head on over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. Before we dive in, as always, we want to make sure that we have the context here, as we have been discovering, Paul, of course, is writing to Christians in Rome. Jews had been expelled from the city of Rome, and only within the last three or four years prior to Paul writing a letter to the city of Rome and the Christians therein had been allowed back in. And so there is a mix of Gentile and Jewish believers together that make up the church here in Rome, the individuals that he is writing to. In particular, then, we want to highlight the reality as well in the city of Rome as it relates to slavery because that is a major portion of what Paul is going to address. It's a, the, the extended analogy that he uses in 15 through 23. It is estimated that in the city of Rome, at the time of Paul's writing, a full third of the citizens were slaves. So roughly one-third of all the citizens in Rome were slaves. Now, citizens would, of course, not have been the, uh, the title for that. They did not have any rights as citizens because of their slavery. It is also estimated by scholars that in the Christian community in Rome, 60 or even 70% of those to whom Paul is writing either were currently slaves or had been slaves and now had purchased or worked off their debt and so were freed men and women. We know Paul, of course, had Roman citizenship from birth, something that he brings up repeatedly when he's arrested in Philippi, arrested again in Jerusalem, uh, these things. So he did not buy his freedom, as he mentions. He has it as a Roman citizen by birth, but many Jews and uh, Gentiles did not have that, and so either currently are slaves or were slaves in their history. So when Paul talks about slavery, they get it. It, of course, is not part of our psyche. It's not part of our cultural context. There certainly is, unfortunately, slavery even today, and yet in our context, it's not something that we typically think of. And when we do, it's obviously very, very negative where it has appeared in the past, and it certainly would have been here as well, and yet it's, it's a much more part of the culture, and Paul's going to use that as he addresses uh, this topic. So let us read the passage then, uh, given that context, and uh, see what God has for us this morning. What then? Romans six fifteen, Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to any one of those obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. This is the word of God. The title then for the sermon this morning is Freedom, and perhaps from this passage we could have entitled it Slavery, just as last week we could have entitled it Death Instead of Life, but I want to focus on freedom as last week I wanted to focus more on life. But we want to look then at this concept of freedom and how it relates to us. Paul, in verse 15, is once again employing this rhetorical device where he anticipates ahead of time questions, concerns, comments that people are going to have about what he said, and he's going to answer them as he writes this letter. So back in chapter 5, and verse 20, we note that what he said was, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And Paul, knowing the people to whom he is writing, in particular the Jewish individuals that are going to read this letter, Oh, so wherever there's sin, there's more grace. So what you're saying, Paul, is that in order to get lots of grace, we need to sin a lot, right? And Paul says, no, by no means. We have begun to call this in our culture the Newman effect because of a famous interview between Jordan Peterson and Kathy Newman where Jordan Peterson would say something or had written something in his book and Kathy Newman would say, so what you're saying is, and it would be the opposite of what Jordan had said or not at all of what Jordan had said. And so it's like these people in Rome are saying to Paul, so what you're saying is, if you want lots of grace, sin lots. And Paul says, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, that's an impossibility. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You radically misunderstand grace. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the power to not sin. And if you're dead to sin, how can you sin even more? That's an impossibility. You're dead to sin. So no, that's not what I'm saying. We walked through that last week. So now what has he just said in verse 14 of chapter 6, where we ended last week? For sin will have no been over you since you are not under law but under grace. Oh, so what you're saying is... Since the law now doesn't matter, sin's no big deal. Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? It doesn't matter anymore. If you're not under law, if there's no consequences for your sin, then I guess what you're saying, Paul, is don't sin more to get more grace. I get that, but, but if you do sin, who cares? That's what you're saying, right, Paul? No, that's not what I'm saying, says Paul. By no means is not what I'm saying. It's a misunderstanding of freedom. Here's what we think of when we think of the word freedom. When we think of freedom, we think of being a free moral agent who gets to decide what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, where they're going to go, where they're not going to go. We believe in our minds that we are basically mini-gods. But Paul's point is that is not the case. And so understand the truth about freedom. And the second point, we were never in control. Notice what he says in verse 16. Do you not know? This is not one of his favorite phrases. He said it repeatedly in the first part of chapter 6, and then he says it again. Don't you know, he says, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. We were never in control. There are only two options. Either you're obeying yourself, sin, shame, and its result, death, or you are obeying God. You are either, as Paul said, a slave to disobedience or a slave to obedience. You are either a slave to unrighteousness or a slave to righteousness. Either you are a slave to self and sin and its result death or you're a slave to God. But the option of you being free in the sense that we normally think of as freedom is not, there's not a third option. 
there's no sinner, slave to God, and then free moral agent, mini-God. That, that, that third option isn't there. So he said, it is a big deal. Because whoever you are obeying, that's who your master is. And he says, you used to be slaves to sin. You've been freed from that. That was the whole point of the first 14 verses. You're dead to sin. Now why are you living as though sin is still your master? You are free from that. But freedom from that does not look like freedom now to be whatever you want to be and be whoever you want to be. No, no, no. Freedom means that you're now a slave to obedience, a slave to God, a slave to righteousness. That's what it means. True freedom, then, is being who we were made to be, is being like our creator. We'll see that again in just a moment. So this illusion that we hold on to, that we are in control, that we are the one who is the captain of our fate and the master of our destiny and our soul is completely incorrect. And this is one of the lies of sin. Sin says, this was your choice. Sin says, you're in control. Sin says, you can stop anytime you like. Sin says, this is what you want. And all the while, you are a slave to that. You were never in control. So Paul says, this is a big deal. Freedom, as far as it doesn't matter and we are free moral agents. He said, that doesn't exist, so therefore this is a big deal. So, we either submit to sin or obedience. You either of sin, he says, which leads to death, or obedience which leads to righteousness. Sitting here this morning or watching online and believing that you are a free moral agent removed from God or slavery to sin is an illusion. It doesn't exist. You're either obeying sin and self and following those desires with the illusion that you're in control the whole time, which you never are and never were, or you are under God's control following him, a slave to him, a slave to obedience and righteousness. That's the only two options. So that's why it's a big deal. Calvin has said, John Calvin has said, that those that are most under the grip of vices are oftentimes those that are most boisterous in declaring their freedom. They're all the more enslaved. So that's the truth about freedom. Everybody's feeling warm and fuzzy at this point. So let's go on to verse 6, 17, and 18, right? What is the foundation of true freedom? What does he say? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. We've been set free from sin. 17, the first part, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. And that's no longer the case. And having been set free from sin. The reality is, Roman Christian, Jew or Gentile, you used to be a slave to sin. And whether you were a Gentile and you readily recognize that because you were a, a participant and a cheerleader for the debauchery of the royal city, or whether you were Jewish and believed yourself to be above that because you were a follower of the law, what did Jesus say in our scripture reading from John 8? Interesting, isn't it, that the Jews say, we've never been enslaved? That's not true historically, that they forget their history, and it's not true morally or spiritually either. Jesus says to who, the one who sins, they are a slave to sin. You are never the master. <laughs> 
either sin is the master or God is the master, but the master's never you or me. But he says, in God, you've been set free from sin. And who does the thanks go to? Goes to God. Secondly, then, freedom is obeying the creator. The back half of verse 17 and the back half of verse 18. You become obedient from the heart, internal change, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Many of these Romans would have remembered being there on the day of Pentecost and hearing the apostle Peter preach. And they heard for the first time that they were sinners in need of salvation and they could not save themselves, but the Messiah had come, the one who could save them had come, had lived righteously, died uh, uh, substitutionarily, and had risen from the grave victoriously, and he could be their savior. And they believed. And this same gospel that Paul had never yet preached in Rome, he hadn't been there yet, had been preached in Rome. He had preached it in Antioch and beyond. Remember he says he came down in Galatia, and the Galatians, he says they came down in Jerusalem to make sure that what I was preaching was the same thing that was being preached. The gospel, the good news that we are great sinners, but there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is the teaching, he says, that you've been committed to. You're now free. Not free, <laughs> but you are free from sin and now free to be who God created you to be. Free to have a relationship with God. Free to operate according to the operational manual. Free to be the creature that your creator made you to be. And notice verse 18, you become slaves of righteousness. What is true freedom? True freedom is submission to God. That's true freedom. True freedom is obeying your creator. True freedom is acting in the way that you were created to act. A fish could jump out of the aquarium and say, I'm free. And yet what does that lead to? Instantaneous death. True freedom for a fish is not in that sense to do whatever they want to do. True freedom is to be who they were created to be. So we can say, I'm free, it's an illusion. You are never free. You are never the master. You're either free from righteousness, Paul will say, which is a scary place to be, we'll be there in just a moment, or free to obey your creator, free to be in relationship with him, free to be who you were created to be. There is a lawnmower company that had to put on their push lawnmowers a warning. Do not use as a hedge trimmer. And this might tell you the state of the collective intelligence of the human species at this point. But individuals had grabbed the ride-on lawnmower and while it was running, lifted it up and ran it over the top of their hedge to use as a hedge trimmer and lost more than just the hedge. And so this lawnmower company had, had to say, again, that should be, common sense, which doesn't seem to be so common anymore, don't use this for that. Freedom then is not just freedom to do whatever we want. That's slavery. Freedom is to be who God created us to be. To be kind, loving, good, gracious, merciful, compassionate, truthful, righteous, holy, loving. That's who God created us to be. And in him, thanks be to God, you've been now freed, he says, to be that. Where before you were slaves to sin. All you were doing was selfishness and unrighteousness, jealousy, lust, covetousness, strife, war, disunity, destruction. This is who you were. You're free from that. But not free now to do whatever you want. Because that's an illusion. Now you're free to be all that God created you to be. 
Notice in the third place then this morning, the command of freedom in verse 19. And do not forget from last week, indicatives always precede imperatives. Speak in plain English, Jeff. Truth always comes before command. So notice what Paul does here. He's going to get to a lot of imperatives starting in chapter 12. And when we get there, it's going to be a lot of don't do this, don't do that. But don't, rem- don't fail to, re- to remember that he spent 11 chapters giving us the truth. So as with last week, we saw that in 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13, this, there are some imperatives, do this or don't do this, or better. He does that in verse 19, but it's predicated upon verses 17 and 18. Paul has this thanksgiving prayer. He just screams out, thanks be to God. That's not you anymore, Romans. That's not who you are. So therefore, he says, what do you say in verse 19? I'm speaking in human terms, he says, because of your natural limitations. Is slavery the best analogy to use? Maybe, maybe not, but it's one they understand, and so that's what I'm using. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. A slave does not have say in what he or she does. You answer to a master. And he says, you used to present your members in an almost identical format, as he said in, in verses 12 and 13, as instruments of unrighteousness, impurity, leading to lawlessness and more lawlessness. But now, he says, now that you know who you are in Jesus Christ and have been freed from that, be who you are in Jesus. Present your members as slaves, again, using that extended analogy, to righteousness. Leading to sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is modeling, revealing God's character. It's being set apart is what the word actually means. That, that you look differently, you act differently, you think differently. Set apart to God, set apart to righteousness. Essentially, sanctification means being like God. That, in, that, in the process of that. So Paul says... Now that you're freed from always and only doing what is selfish and sinful and destructive, you're free from that. As we looked at last week, why are we afraid of something that's dead? Right? That stuffed grizzly bear that can scare us when we forget it's there and we walk in in the dark. And yet, it only takes a few minutes to realize, but that's dead. It it, it should not engender fear in me. Sin is dead. Christ killed it. So he says, why are you living as though sin is still alive in your life? And secondarily, why are you living as though sin is your master? Sin is no longer your master. That master can't tell you what to do. Before it did. And it did so in a way that made you feel like you were the one calling the shots. But you never were. But now that you've been freed from that, your mind has been opened to the truth and the reality... Now walk in that, he says. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to being more like the one that you're in relationship with, leading to sanctification. But do not ever forget that that command comes after the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. Read that verse, verse 19, in isolation, and it sounds like, okay, I walk the aisle, pray to prayer, raise my hand, and now it's up to me to work this out. And Paul never does that, so don't do that either. Only because of what God has done is this possible. What does he say in verse 17? Thanks be to God. This is God's work. And since he has done the work in you, now live like it. The command always comes after and is based on the truth. 
Notice then as we wrap up this morning, the contrast of freedom. There are three here in front of us in verses 20 through 22. Paul now shifts the analogy, and it's still an analogy of slavery and freedom, but now he wants to look at the results of it, the fruit of it, he says. The first place we see sin versus righteousness. He said, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Is there a more scary verse in the Bible? Yeah, you were free. There's a nugget of truth in every lie. You were free, but you don't know what you were free in regards to? You were free from living righteously. You were free from being in relationship with the Creator. You were free from honoring God. You were free from submitting to Him. You were free from eternal life. That's not a place you want to be, and that's not a freedom you want to have. Notice the second contrast, verses 21 and 22. Shame versus sanctification. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? But now you've been set free from sin, and the fruit you get leads to sanctification. Shame versus sanctification. When you were a slave to sin, he says, with all that freedom... (laughs) How much of that were you posting on Facebook? How much of that were you advertising around? How many of what went on after dark and and in private were you wanting everybody to know about? What What was the fruit of that life, he says? What was the result of the things about which now you are ashamed? You have regrets. But he says, now that you become slaves of God, now that God is your master, What is the fruit of that? Is it not sanctification that you are improving, you are moving more towards him and away from who you used to be? That you are now engaged in things that you are proud of in a proper way, things that you are fine with people knowing. Now we've got to be careful again about how we use those things. We can post those on Facebook too much. Look how generous I am. Here's 15 posts to prove it. It's not what I'm talking about, but you're doing things now that you are proud of. You're now doing things that that you want to share with everybody. This is the new me. Thanks be to God. And notice lastly, death versus life. Life versus death. What is the end of that life, he says, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things, he says, is death. But the end of being a slave to God is eternal life. So, Paul, it's no big deal if we sin now that we're not under law but under grace, right? No, it's a huge deal. Freedom is not something to take lightly. It was only won for us by the shed blood and the suffering of Jesus Christ the righteous. It's not a light thing. And if you continue to live as if slave is your master, what are you showing? You are showing that perhaps you are not as free from sin as you claim to be. It is a big deal. Law was never intended by God to be a corrective for sin in the sense that it was the solution for our sin. That's what the Jewish Christians were looking to. How do I stop sinning? By obedience to the law. And yet Paul's point is, no, You can't obey the law perfectly. But in fact, what the law does is it increases your trespasses. 
it reveals to you just how much of a sinner you are. So there needs to be another solution. What is that solution? The perfect keeper of the law, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's the solution. And so freedom is an illusion. We are either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. And then Paul wants us to ask, what are the results of those? Sin always, sin always, mark this down, sin always overpromises and underdelivers every single time. Come with me, guys. It's going to be great. And every single time, what does it lead to? Shame, regret, destruction, death. So Paul says, look at the results. A slave to God is one that is free to become like their creator and free to enjoy life, life abundant and life eternal. And to sum it all up, perhaps the most famous verse from chapter 6 of Romans. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some scholars see in this wage language a general or a commander of the Roman military paying his soldiers. But whether that is there in Paul's mind, although it would have been readily accepted or understood by those in Rome or not, we all understand the concept of a wage. You work, you earn something, and then you receive it. And what do we earn as a result of our sin? Death. What we deserve is death. But thanks be to God, what does he say? But the free gift of God. What a contrast. <laughs> that in Christ we don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve, and that is grace, salvation, freedom, True freedom, eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Grace Baptist, last week, although these are linked sort of questions and concepts, last week we looked at the fact, the truth, that sin now is dead to us and we are dead to it. It is a conquered foe. Sin is dead and death is dead. Live like it. And now Paul says, stop treating then sin as if it's no big deal. Okay, I'm dead to it, and I don't have to try to sin so much that I can get more grace. Okay, I get that. But if I sin, when I sin, no big deal, right? No, 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 very big deal. Because the freedom that we have in Christ is not freedom to sin. It's freedom to no longer be under sin's tyranny. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is now the freedom to not sin. Freedom is slavery to the right master. And my prayer for all of us is that we'd be slaves of obedience, slaves of righteousness, slaves of God. That is the place where true freedom is found. We can try freedom. We were all trying it before God met us. But what was it leading to? We were never free. That was an illusion. It was leading to sin, destruction, pain, hurt, and death. And then God found us. If we are in him this morning, and thanks be to God that we receive from him not a wage, but a gift. And that gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, we are so 
thankful or ought to be for these truths from your word. And help us to remember truth even as we are commanded to obey. The only way that we can obey is because of the truth that we are now transferred from being slaves to sin and its result death. And we are now slaves of you. Father, we do not then have any rights in a sense. We do not have the ability nor should we have the desire to be God's but instead in humble submission to you out of eternal gratitude for what you have done for us, that we will no longer receive what we have earned, but instead will have that debt paid by Jesus Christ and the free gift of his righteousness credited to our account. And the life that we now live is a life of sanctification, of set-apartness, of differentness, of of being increasingly more like you and increasingly less like who we used to be. Our slave master still calls to us, but we no longer have to obey him. We now are called to obey you and given the ability to do so. Father, we thank you this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen.